Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode eight, and this is a post-game reaction of the Oregon State game. And Sam, that was a little more interesting than I think we wanted it to be. So to get yourself through that game, what are you sipping on, sir? Well, I finished off some of my bullet bourbon from Justin Geiger, our special guest on episode six. Nice. And now I'm working on some Kirkland Signature blended Scotch whiskey. And yeah, that was a much closer game than either of us anticipated. I was yeah. way off with my score prediction of we both I were. think I said what 45 to 13, I think is what I ended up on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think so. Oh, shit. Don't listen I mean, to I... me for don't listen to me for the rest of the season. Yeah, our credibility is down the shitter at this point. I mean, I went 3110. So Yeah, that was not what I was expecting, but what got glad... you through the game? What yeah. are you sipping on? Yeah. Uh so I've been mixing it up quite a bit throughout the game. I was bouncing between Rolling Rocks, Negramodellos, and Manhattans. Oh, Actually, one Manhattan. I'm sorry. I should I shouldn't put plural okay. there. I have I one Manhattan. Say, if you're gonna, I'm not if you're... that deep. <laughs> I was gonna say you might want to know where the Tylenol is tomorrow morning. Still, probably gonna want to know where that is, and Katie's gonna be pissed at me. I'm sure because I'm supposed to get up with the dog tomorrow. But I'll yeah, do it's... it. But I'm probably gonna sleep sleep on the couch afterwards. Yeah, it's it's the pack twelve after dark. It is. She's got to understand that raw reaction podcast she'll understand once she at, listens to this I mean, coming to you live at 12 30 a.m it's early man it's early or late i don't know what what is it but I yeah right either. right now i have a negramodello to get me through this podcast and then some water to hopefully soften my hangover tomorrow um just add some bread and you'll be good yeah yeah we'll go heavy on the protein and bread tomorrow um man quite a game it it, i think the first thing we have to talk about is quarterback so yeah kevin kevin thompson was not healthy for this game and so we saw dylan morris start um we've seen some some people say that it sounds like Dylan Morris is, was like the full-fledged starter coming out of camp, and then others say that Kevin Thompson may may have factored in. Um, we're also hearing that we're not going to hear anything about Kevin Thompson's supposed injury tonight, and that we'll hear more on Monday. So we'll probably know, know a lot more about the comp, the quarterback competition come Monday. But at this point, it seems like Dylan Morris's job to lose. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. It'll be interesting to see. You know, it's interesting to me that Jimmy Lake is committing to discussing the injury status of Kevin Thompson and then the other projected starters that didn't play tonight in Tuli Tuli Nasinoa and Laiatu Latu. We so, both called out on the game preview as far as having big yeah, impacts. So they had no those impact. could be some big, big injuries if if they're if they're potentially season ending. So exactly, and that's that's basically my point. The fact that Jimmy Lake or the head of UW Football Communications is already more or less committing to an injury update on Monday, assuming Jimmy Lake takes a similar approach to discussing injuries as Chris Peterson did, which so far he has Chris Peterson never discussed injuries unless they were season ending. And so maybe we're putting the cart before the horse here a little bit, but 
if Jimmy Lake says that he's going to come out and have information to provide on the injuries to Kevin Thompson, Tuli Latuli Nasanoa, and Laiatu Latu. At this point, I'm fearing for the worst that we're not going to see any of those three this mm-hmm. season, which is quite saddening for me because, you know, at the beginning of the night, Dylan Morris gets the start. I'm, you know, feeling pretty good about our bet that we placed in episode <laughs> four and thinking I'm going to get myself some gentleman's jack. But if Kevin Thompson's down and out for the season, then the bet is off, boys and girls. Sam, I already told you that if the Huskies have a winning record and Dylan Morse is the leading passer for the year, you will get at least a regular Jack Daniels bottle from me. Not, maybe not a gentleman's Jack, but you will get a regular Jack Daniels at that point. So a regular Jack Daniels, and then we'll have to share together uh, at a bonfire at the end of the season. Sure. That's fair. Deal. Down. <laughs> Good enough for but me. What would you say your reaction to Dylan Morris was for this game? Yeah, I mean, I think you were a little higher on him than I was. I I thought he played fine. And we have to put this into context that obviously, obviously this is his first college start. This is his first action at this kind of game speed. And, I mean, he ended, he ended the night with – uh 141 yards passing 14 for 24 they didn't honestly ask a lot from him he took one or two deep shots and a lot of his passing game was a lot of check downs and crossing routes kind of over the middle didn't even really have many long throws to the sidelines like not a lot of tough throws for him tonight didn't get helped out at all by his by his wideouts tonight like we'll, not at all we'll talk about that a little yeah, bit yeah i'm going to Bite my tongue for now. Yeah, but um, there were some drops by some wide receivers tonight that didn't help his stat line at all. So you're probably honestly looking at like a 17 for 24, um, 17 for 24 stat line with you know 175, 180 yards and a touchdown. Like one of those drops was a touchdown. So if you had if you had put that in front of me before the game and that was our starting quarterback. I would have been fine with it because I, I had all the faith in the world in our running game as far as getting getting the job done as far as this offense goes. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was fine. I didn't think he was – I didn't think he made any any kind of play that stood out to me in any way. But he evaded some pressures, and I think he got the ball out quickly. I thought his delivery is a little bit awkward, but it's fine for college. Like, if he was my NFL starter, I'd be a little worried. Well, yeah. But, I mean, in college, I think this is fine. He's got a little bit of a longer longer release. But I thought I also thought that he got the ball out pretty quick, though, on, especially when he was seeing some pressures. He seemed to read his, his outlet receiver or outlet running back pretty quickly. So I thought that was yeah. interesting. I think you saw some examples of him throwing with some good anticipation as well. Mm-hmm particularly on one or two of the drops that I can recall. He had some pressure coming into the pocket, and that's the thing that you always are concerned about at first when you're introducing a new quarterback to the speed of the college game. Yeah. How do they handle with pressure? And I I felt like he handled the pressure really well. I don't think that they had a sack at all, did they? I don't Mm, think they did. Let me look. I don't know. I don't rely. I don't remember. No, they didn't. They didn't, and so I, I think he handled pressure pretty well. I think, to your Bella. point, he made some check down passes to the running backs on some and read those routes. quick. Like yeah, like yeah. I mean, it was one of those things. Like he saw pressure and he knew exactly where to go with the ball. Yeah, and I think that he threw the ball with great anticipation. Like I said, the drop passes by Ty Jones and. Terrell Bynum, both he threw before the wide receivers really made their break. Mm-hmm. Really catchable balls should have been caught. Yep. So honestly, I really liked what I saw from Dylan Morris. I think it was a modest game plan for the quarterback for sure. yeah. in the a lot first of that place. That. I think, you know, again, to requote his stats that Connor provided earlier, he went 14 of 24. Really, if a wide receivers help him out, that's 17 for 24. You're looking at a 70% completion rate, 
Mm-hmm. I'll take that and a touchdown because Ty Jones didn't come down with the, the grab in the end zone. Yeah. And I think he showed some elusiveness, some escapability, kind of like that Aaron Rodgers type of mobility where he's not going to, you know, run for a hundred plus yards in a game, but sure. I think we saw that, you know, he can extend a play. I think he had good pocket awareness. Again, no sacks is for sure a, a testament to our offensive line, who I think largely played pretty damn well tonight. But I also think it's a testament to Dylan Morris having an awareness of, you know, a strong pocket presence and awareness of the pass rush, getting rid of the ball, step stepping up, rolling out. I liked what I saw, to be quite honest. I think that to piggyback off of one of your points, he wasn't asked to really do anything magnificent and he, and therefore he didn't do anything magnificent. I think he was giving fair. He did not make any mistakes. No, I think he had one play kind of, you know, the luck of the Irish turned out for him a little bit on that long completion to Terrell Bynum that more or less went through the hands of a defender could have, you know, on Bynum, replay, Bynum, was, was, Bynum was even thrown off by that. He seemed to yeah. like pause there for a second once he caught the ball. Probably should have been picked off, but he ended, ended up going up making for like the 41 and, yards or something like that. So yeah, it was a good catch. Big but play. I don't think Dylan Morris was really asked to do much other than be a game manager. I think he did well at that. He was given one opportunity to throw the ball further than 20 yards down the field. It was probably his worst pass of the night. Yeah. Terrell Bynum beat his man and would have been wide open if Dylan Morris threw him open towards the right sideline, but instead he threw him more down the seam. I don't know if that was a miscommunication where Bynum was running a post and Morris thinks he's running a seam, but for the most part, I liked what I saw from Morris and I would have actually there were a couple of points in the game where I was hoping to put the ball in his hands a bit more. You know, we were, we look at the way the plays went down. We ran the ball 51 times past 24. That's a basically 70%, 30% split. Mm. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, I think you were thrown off by it more than I was. I mean, going into this game and seeing the size advantage that we had, and especially if you're starting a quarterback that has never started a college game before, you're going to heavily rely upon your run game. And this is more of a run blocking offensive line than it is a pass blocking offensive line. So I'm honestly not that surprised by that split in the first game. I don't expect that from the Husky offense throughout the season. I at least hope not to expect that from the offense throughout this, this full season. But I mean, I think we're pretty lucky that we had a bit of a, of a quote unquote soft landing as we've described it against Oregon state, because if we come out with this game plan against Cal, I fully expect that's probably a loss at this point based on kind of how we played and the way that the battle in the trenches kind of went. So, I mean, kind of keying off of like what we've talked about already is like, I mean, I think Dylan Morris did solid. Like, I think he was, he was okay as, as a quarterback, he was good enough to win the game. And we had kind of three, three keys to the game going into this, into this matchup with Oregon state and uh, solid QB play was the, the first one because we didn't know really what to expect from that because we didn't know who's going to start. Dylan Morris ends, ends up starting and he does okay. It's not it's not anything that's going to stand out from a statistical standpoint, but he does okay. And I think it was, again, good enough to win the game. But I think it's the other two, especially the first one, the first key to the game is the big one. I think that we need to talk about because that's something that we need to shore up if we're looking at, you know, a winning season this year, especially Um, we did win the turnover battle, which was one of them, right? We just had the one, 
we had the one strip sack turnover, which we'll talk about more. But um, it was really the, the, the battle in the trenches. And I thought the offensive line played okay. Probably wasn't quite as dominant. And especially as we kind of gotten like those goal to go situations, I would have expected more from them inside the 10 yard line. We ended up settling for some field goals that I thought were a little bit disappointing and could have made this margin of victory a little bit sexier for us. Um, but I thought, I thought the defensive line was honestly kind of trash this in this game. And you can chalk that up for, you know, some, some rust. You can chalk that up for just not being used to game speed and Oregon state being used to game speed because they played a game. But I mean, ultimately the battle in the trenches usually just comes down to like will and especially if we have the size advantage, I fully expect us to win the battle in the trenches basically every game. So I was pretty disappointed by the de- defensive lines um, stat line and output in this lot in, in this game against Oregon state. I don't know about you, Sam. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that review of our keys to the game. I think key number one is when the trenches, I think for the large large part of the game, our offensive line played well. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they were as consistently overwhelmingly dominant as I kind of anticipated them to be, but yeah, we saw flashes of it though. I will yeah. say like on that, on that they Sean played... McGrew touchdown run, Ale got out on a rollout block and got downfield and it looked, it looked good. Yeah, I mean, Kate Otten had a good block on that play. I, yep. There were multiple times where I felt like our wide receivers were blocking really well downfield. I noted in my notes a couple times that Ty Jones had some great downfield blocks. Terrell mm-hmm. Bynum had a couple of downfield blocks that looked really nice. So I would say, in general, I'm pleased with our offensive line. I would give them an A in this game. I, I yeah. felt like that they... I had the expectation that they maybe would have dominated a little bit more, but when you look at the stats, you can't really argue with them. Like that, I would take yeah. this style of a game from our offensive line every single week, week in, week out. 5.2 yards per carry, no sacks, kept the quarterback upright. You can't really ask for much more than that, but. I think that maybe against Oregon State, there was a little bit left to be desired there. But I also think there's a worthwhile conversation on the Oregon State side that I think they're a better team. I think two things happened tonight. I think Oregon State is a better team than we gave them credit for. Probably true. And And I don't think that we are as good of a team as I thought we were coming into the game. Yep. And with both of those things working in the same direction, you end up with a six point game as opposed to like the 30 some point blowout that I or upper twenties blowout that I was anticipating. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, getting back to the keys of the game, I think offensively we won in the trenches. I would have liked to have seen us dominate a little bit more. I think defensively I would give us a, a C minus grade. And I think Connors may be sitting there in his seat, tempted to throw out the, the F bomb on the defensive line there, <laughs> which I think in terms of our run defense, our defensive line was for sure an F. And I think the saving grace was, I felt like our pass rush looked really well, really good. Yep. Right. Um, Zion, Tupolo, Fatui, ZTF had two sacks, two strip sacks, two fumbles. Really good. He looks really good. And when Connor and I were talking off mic, I felt like it was a little bit of a juxtaposition in the sense that what made our defensive line look really good in pass rush situations is the exact same thing that made our defensive line look like total shit and mm-hmm. run defense situations because Mm -hmm. 
we were giving up big plays. I think Oregon State averaged 4.9 yards per carry, and that's including sacks. Yeah. Um, and our defensive ends were playing super aggressive. They were getting themselves out of position. They weren't setting the edge. They weren't holding their containment. Our defensive linemen weren't clogging up lanes, and it was their the Oregon State offensive linemen were having too much of an easy release to get onto our linebackers. Our defensive linemen need to slow them down and hold them in that line of scrimmage area a little bit better. So I think the combination of those two, maybe C minus, ah, I'm feeling like that's maybe a little bit too generous. Maybe like a D plus. I think a D plus. Yeah. 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 I mean, one of the one of the keys that we had too, like just kind of like I guess it was like a key within a key, was controlling Jamar Jefferson because that's obviously their their mainstay of of their offense. And I mean, we didn't do that. We didn't do that tonight. I mean, he went off for twenty three for one thirty three and a touchdown. Like that's not good enough. And especially when it's very predictable that that's the guy that they're going to lean on. It's just not good enough. And even more so than Jamar Jefferson, their backup BJ Baylor had eight carries for 41 yards and a touchdown. So it wasn't even just Jamar Jefferson, the entire run defense was underperforming tonight. Like it's something that we, we thought was going to be a strength of this team, but I have to say through one game, I'm a little concerned about it. And especially if we're, we're predicted that we're going to be without Thule and without Leatu Latu for a significant time. Those are two guys that key in on that defensive run run uh, on that run defense. So I'm a little concerned as far as just kind of how, how this goes, especially kind of looking forward to some of these next games that we have coming up and some of the running attacks that we have coming up. Um, I don't know about you, Sam, but. No, I, I totally agree. I think there are two areas that I come out of this game feeling concerned with and First and foremost, I did not expect Oregon State to impose their will offensively rushing the ball like they did at times and scoring 21 points. Yep. I feel like our rush defense is a real issue. I think it's a combined issue with not only what I was talking about before with our defensive ends being overly aggressive, getting themselves out of position, losing contain. I think there's three things that contribute to that. One, one is our defensive ends being over aggressive and losing containment. The second thing is our interior defensive linemen, not until a bit later into the game did I feel like they were really doing their job in terms of occupying offensive linemen and keeping our linebackers clean. I feel like our linebackers had to fight off blocks all game and our interior defensive linemen didn't do them any help until later in the game. And then thirdly, I felt like our linebacker play, it felt like for most of the game we were playing with one damn linebacker and that's yeah. Eddie Ulafostio who had a hell of a game in his own right. I, 10 tackles, nine solo, four pass deflections, really good game, but we need to find another linebacker to play against him or uh, uh, alongside him rather. Sorry. And Jackson Sermon had a rough game. There are a couple of times where he just seemed lost out there. He was running away from where the running, the ball carrier was taking the ball. So I think you combine those three things over aggressive defensive ends, defensive linemen, not occupying blockers. And then, it felt like we were playing with one linebacker the entire game. Yeah. Oregon State really had their way running the ball with us. Jamar Jefferson, and, and one of the things that we were talking about off mic briefly before we started recording the podcast was, you know, Jamar Jefferson had a day, 23 carries, 133 yards. I, don't, I wouldn't have a problem with that if I felt like 
hey, Jamar Jefferson's just a, a really good player. He was breaking tackles, making things happen, and he was just better than some of our defensive players. Mm-hmm. That's not how it unfolded. Mm-hmm. How it unfolded was Oregon State's offensive line was better than our defensive front. Right. I think that's problematic for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's something that needs to get fixed if if we're wanting to see this team accomplish the things that we think they can accomplish and, you know, achieve their potential. But um, other yeah. than other other than just their rushing attack, like I mean, I think I think there's two two key plays that I think we need to talk about too, Sam. And the first being the most obvious one in the shit show of our first punt of the season. And we had, we talked about him a little bit in our, our lead up episodes to, to this first game. We have a freshman long snapper, Jaden green, and he shit the bed on his first snap in college. I and think the, the it jitters about, got the best of them. Yeah, it went. It, he had, he obviously had some adrenaline. I can't even imagine being in his, his position. I I understand, but I mean the, the snap went about ten yards over Race Porter's head, and that was just the start of that play. And everything that was twenty twenty that unfolded in that play, basically. <laughs> so yeah. whatever you can think of going wrong this year, happened in that play. And the Beavers end up scoring a touchdown off of just like the flukiest shit that you will ever see. That was our first possession too, right? Correct. It was the punt off of our first possession. And then they scored a touchdown off of the bad snap and blocked punt. Yep. So they went up. So, I mean, we're, we're, we're immediately in a seven to zero hole within three minutes of the game starting four minutes of the game starting. Um, so I think, I think that play obviously makes this game even a little bit closer than it needed to be just because we gave them an advantage in special teams, which special teams were honestly shit this game. We can talk about that that in a little bit. Yeah. We had one, one glimmering light at the end of the tunnel. And we should, we, we will definitely touch on that. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, But the other play that I look at is the, the refs gifting us a, fourth and one turnover on downs when it really didn't didn't appear to be that way at least at least on on the tv broadcast that jamar jefferson was stopped short on fourth and one and the play stood they reviewed it and everything but i mean pac-12 refs are known to be not necessarily the best (laughs) in the country when it comes to these kinds of decisions but yeah, um, that's we were, that's on, we the, were on the we were on the fortunate end of that one, I will say. for sure. And that's the one play that I really want to, you know, diagnose and really look at closely. Probably first thing tomorrow morning, because mm-hmm. um, again, just watching the play go off, bang bang. I thought Jamar Jefferson picked up that first down without I, a doubt. I thought and, it was like by a yard and a half. That he had exactly. And I think the fact that because it was a change of possession, we went to a commercial break. The officials had time to review that in the booth and it wasn't overturned. I'm kind of led to believe that maybe he actually didn't get it. And so in my notes, I actually have that as a positive play. Asa Turner Sure. He came down in to run support and made a hell of a play, made a really good tackle. I think it's up to debate right now for sure whether or not we need to see when his knee went down. Whether or not we stopped him short, but let's let's stop and talk about the fact that the broadcast was absolute shit and we honestly couldn't tell from a good angle what had actually happened on that play. Yeah. From the initial TV broadcast, it definitely looked like he picked up the first down. For sure. There's obviously different angles that they have, and they didn't show them on the TV broadcast. And 
kind of came out of commercial break. It's like, oh, I guess UW has the ball, blah, 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 blah. But like, there was no really like true explanation as far as, you know, it how that actually happened. Yeah, or like what the conclusive evidence. Right. Or I guess maybe inconclusive evidence also factors yeah. in there because it was For called sure. short. It was but called short. I, Petros, I fucking don't understand either. <laughs> I mean, Petros Papadakis, the color commentator on the broadcast, made it made his feelings known really well that he thought that Ramar Jefferson got the first down because later on then in the game we pinned them down to their I don't know half a yard line on their goal line. Yep. And the first play that Oregon State ran from their goal line to get off of their own end zone was a running play to Jamar and Petros made a smart ass comment like, oh well we better watch out where this where the spot is. They might call this a safety when it was obviously not a safety. So he made his feelings pretty clear that he thought that yeah. was a bad spot. I'm but... interested to hear his segment with Softy this next week and see how he felt about that UW win because in case we haven't I don't think we ever even said the final score. I that was that's kind of my bad, but UW won 27 to 21 against Oregon State tonight. So it was it was a close game. Yeah. One sport ball game. I think going off of your point too, I think Softy was texting him and here's why I think that during the okay. game. The first half when Zion had his two strip sacks, forced mm-hmm. two forced fumbles. Mm-hmm. Petros was having a hard time with the full name. Zion, Tupuola, Fatui. In the he second half... Z- he can call him ZTF, too. In the That's second half... I know, but in the second half, he started calling him ZTF. And I think my my theory is Softy texted him and said, hey, man, you're having a rough time with this guy's name. <laughs> we call him ZTF. And I don't think Petros called him anything but ZTF for the rest of the game. Yeah. Well, I don't blame him. It's a hell of a, it's a nightmare of a name. I think I said that in an earlier podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, Zion played well tonight. He was our, you know, most consistent pass rusher in few pass, pass rushing situations. So it was good to see, especially, again, we've talked about this, the departure of Joe Tryon. We didn't really know where the pass rush was going to come from. We know that Ryan Bowman was, a solid contributor in that aspect, but we didn't really know who that was going to consistently come from throughout this season. And Zion seems to be taking the lead, at least in this early parts of the season through this first game. Um, it'll be interesting to hear from Jimmy Lake on, on Monday on the injury to Leatu Latu to see where, where he's at and if he's going to factor into this season at all. Cause if he, if it, if he factors into this season, I think he's going to be a solid pass rusher as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But um, ZTF definitely did a, a very admirable, admirable job and even more so in filling in for, for a lot too in that position opposite of Ryan Bowman. Yeah. I think one of the things that I was a little bit disappointed with was, you know, I chose him as my, Freshman of the year, breakout player of the year, Savelle Smalls. Yeah. He Savelle only got one series and it was up and down. On his first play, he was in on a pass rush. I think Zion ended up getting there first and causing yeah. a fumble. He was right there. And Savelle looked he was right in there. For sure. And then on the next two plays following that. They ran the ball to Savelle's side twice in a row. And Savelle uh-huh. kind of he got double teamed on the first one and kind of got washed out and lost contain. The second one, I think he over pursued and lost contain again. And it felt like he was kind of on a short leash with Pete Kwiatkowski and you lose contain twice. And I didn't really see him in the game very much in the second half because yeah. of that. Which yeah. I was kind of bummed about, and maybe some of that has to do with the offensive play calling of Oregon State. Like they just right. weren't passing the ball, so right. that sure. doesn't align with Savelle's strong suit. But if we play a more pass happy offense, maybe he gets more looks. Mm-hmm. But 
I was hoping to see a little bit more Savelle out there than than we ended up getting. Yeah, for sure, especially with Latu out, and we knew that going into the game about an hour before game time that Latu wasn't going to suit up for the Huskies today, and so Sam and I were, were immediately texting each other that, hey, maybe Savelle will play a role today and get some more playing time, but that didn't really amount to much other than that one series, and like Sam said, he, he looked good on that kind of, I think that was honestly his first college snap that he looked really good in getting in the backfield on that play that Zion uh, uh, caused his first fumble that Eddie, Eddie um, recovered. But other than that, he was kind of not really a factor in the game. And I, I think I think that's just you know again I, I think it's a it's a matter of game plan as far as just that Oregon State was going to run the ball they obviously had success running the ball and that's not really Savelle's game at this point in his career especially as a young player um, just kind of trust some of the more veteran players in that in that containment role um, and then the fact that. You know, he just did, he just didn't get very many chances in general. Um, so I think I think Savelle is definitely going to shine towards the latter parts of the season, and we're going to see kind of that that raw physicality and just athleticism that we've coveted at that position for so long, and. We'll, we'll we'll see it come to fruition by the end of the season, but this just wasn't really the game for it, I don't think. Um, so let's, I mean, let's talk. I feel like we've been a little bit negative, and we, we should talk some yeah. of the positives in this game. Um, I know that that obviously the, the battle in the trenches probably wasn't what we thought it was going to be, but there definitely were some bright spots in this game, and I think you have to amount some of some of the assignment issues on just rust and this being the Huskies first game, Oregon State's obviously played a first game in Wazoo last week. So there's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle from that, from that standpoint, but there's some other, other bright spots in this game that we should definitely shout out. And the, the obviously the first one that we've talked about is, is Zion and his ability to get to the, rush the passer and be a be an influencer in that in that role so i'm looking for him to continue that especially again if latu's out for a significant amount of time he's obviously going to be kind of the guy that we rely upon in that in that role so ztf is definitely someone to to keep an eye on number 58 am i correct there yeah number 58 cool um the second one, and then I'll let you shout out to two two plays as well here. But the second one is Trent McDuffie, man. As a returner, I uh, I think I undersold this guy as a returner. That guy, he's got some he's got some jitterbug to him. He's he's quick. It, he had a little bit of Devin Hester to him on on one punt return, and he's able to make some guys miss in the open field like an offensive player and looks really really good and really comfortable in that position and i'm excited to see what he can do not only this year but next year as well while we still have him so um, yeah i don't know if you want to touch on him real quick and then there's a couple other you know positive game notes that we have here too that you can touch on too sam yeah for sure i think to your point Trent McDuffie looked pretty spicy as a punt returner. Got it. Pretty spicy. Pretty, pretty, uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. He, I would, I mean, that's refreshing. We didn't see anything like that from last year's punt returner and Aaron Fuller. So yeah. Special teams is a, is a big part of the game. And I think we should give our learn that today. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Kind of, Tip our hat off to Oregon State too. They had two huge uh, kick returns from their little mighty mouse and Flemings. He, you know, we were trashing on him in the preview. Sure. Five five one forty one, but he played really well. 
he played really well and he showed a lot of toughness and hats off to Ryan Sapardo and the rest yep. of the special teams for sure coaches over there they had a good game plan and big shout out they had two awesome kick returns that led to positive drives for Oregon State mm-hmm. their one downside was honestly just Trent McDuffie making something happen and he broke a bunch of tackles and it was kind of just, out of nothing too I mean yeah it's, it's just a good player making a really good play mm-hmm. and then you know, we had one other good special teams play towards the, you know, pivotal port parts of the game in Q4 in quarter four. Mm-hmm. Ray Porter had a nice punt, and Kyler Gordon, you know, he's he did it last year, and he's picking up where he left off. He was down there quickly and was able to down the ball, you know, within the one yard line, and that really just makes it really tough on the offense to to make anything of that drive when you start that far in your own side of the field and ended up hunting the ball back to us. And that was definitely a key play. Yeah. And then if we're going to stick with some of the positives here as well, again, off the top, I felt like for the, for the most part, Dylan Morris looked pretty sharp. I think he had a really, for what he was asked to do, I think he played really well. He made a couple of nice throws over the middle you know, he had some pressure in his face on some third downs and delivered some good balls. Yeah, he albeit, got the ball out quickly whenever there was pressure on him. And that's, I mean, that's something that's underappreciated at the quarterback position and something that you don't typically see from a young quarterback. So that was definitely encouraging to see him get the ball out quickly, albeit kind of an awkward delivery. He's got a little bit of a long motion with his arm but it definitely works and it's fine in college. And um, if he's able to get that ball out quickly and find his check down receiver quickly, that's, that's a good sign of things to come. Exactly. And I think when you're to Connor's point, when you're looking at a red shirt freshman in his first college game experience, he looked comfortable. He didn't mm-hmm. look flustered. He didn't look panicked. No, I think he looked very composed and, in general, I think we got solid play from him. I would like to, starting next week and the rest of the season, I would like to see him have a little bit more freedom to make some plays. I think For he sure. We're going to need it. Yeah, and I think he has the ability. I think he showed some confidence and threw some, some passes with some confidence that, you know, or as a coach or a fan you're like no 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 oh yeah it worked out awesome that's great and so (laughs) i think we gotta let the reins go with him a little bit more in the future games um a couple other positives to quickly shout out i think again generally we had really good blocking along the offensive line both in terms of run blocking and pass blocking we averaged you know five plus yards of carry didn't give up any sacks. That's for sure a positive. And then I think in the second half, Sam Taimani really started to come into his own there. I think he shed it, shed a couple blocks and, and stuffed a couple of runs in mm-hmm. important times. Mm-hmm. He was um, in on that, for, that fourth and one play as well. Yep. Yep. So I liked what I saw from him towards the end of the game. I think he had a rough start to the game. Yeah, but for sure. Obviously, we came out with a win. We did enough to win the game. It's way easier to like critique this team after a win than it is after a loss. So yeah, it, yeah. Lord have mercy if we lost this game, this podcast would be a train wreck. It was not far from being that. I mean, Sam and I have both agreed that we were probably pretty lucky in this game, especially just with the way that the refs called the game towards the end. Definitely cited towards the Huskies. Um. I mean, Pac-12 refs will Pac-12 refs, so you take what you get and you run with it in in these instances. So I'll definitely take it. I mean, it's it's definitely not what I would have liked to see us coming out in, for, for the Jimmy Lake era. On that note, I mean, how, how do you think that Jimmy Lake coached in his first game, Sam? I think it was... 
good enough. Sure. I don't think he made any blunders. I don't think he made any, you know, horrible decisions. I think the only major coaching blunder that I saw came from John Donovan in must have been the second quarter or the third. I don't remember specifically when it happened. Mm-hmm. It was it was actually, yeah, here it is. I, I'm pulling it up in my notes. It was in the fourth quarter. And I think it might have been on our final drive or our second to last drive where we have the lead. All we want to do is two up clock, continue gaining first downs and end the game. And we got ourselves into a second and short situation. I think it was second and three, second and four. Mm -hmm. We call a reverse to Romo Dunze that gets totally stuffed. Huge tackle for loss. For And I think that was like the second reverse that they had called in a row too, right? Like the play before that went to Bynum or something, I think, and it was like seven yards. Yeah, I'm not – I don't totally – Maybe we're that. talking about drives, but – It could have happened. I'm not totally sure, but I just remember feeling like you're in second and third, second and three, second and four situation. Like, let's – Stick to our bread and butter. And I felt like that was an, a, a really bad play call for that yeah. situation. We end up losing a bunch of yards. And then I think we got a false start from Jackson Kirkland. So now we're looking at like right. third and 18. You know, whenever you turn a, a second down and three yards to third and 18, you're like, what the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. Especially when you're trying to ice the game in a fourth quarter situation. I felt like that was the only coaching scenario that I felt was like blatantly bad. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's directly reflective of Jimmy Lake. I think for the most part, he coached well enough to win the game, but I more than anything, I was disappointed in our defense. And so whether that's a reflection yeah. of Jimmy Lake or Pete Kowski, I'm not really sure. Maybe it's a reflection of our players not winning one-on-one battles, but that's more what like, it looked like, honestly. But yeah. yeah, I felt like for the most part, coaching was solid. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think John Donovan was okay. I mean, I think. It's, underwhelming. Underwhelming. Yeah, it's, it's, he was it's really for conservative. Sure, it's for sure underwhelming and yeah, conservative, which is very understandable whenever you have a first first game quarterback out there in Dylan Morris and you want to keep the game plan as simple as possible and lean on the strengths that you have in your offense, which is obviously the running game, which we still rush for, you know, what, 260, 270 yards tonight. So definitely don't discount that, that we still, we still ran the ball. Well, Um, I think there was definitely just some questionable play calling as far as not keeping it as simple as it needed to be though. Like obviously we were having success running the ball with certain players and it seemed like they probably got a little bit too cute with some of the personnel decisions um, in, in the tailbacks and also in some of the the play calling um, when it came to, trying to make something happen, maybe downfield. So I think this was a game that we just needed to run the ball and we needed to control the line of, line of skirmish, we needed to control the clock. And for the most part, we did that, but I think we could have done it even better. And if John Donovan had really, you know, optimized this game plan, it would have done been done better. I do have to call out, as far as a Jimmy Lake coaching era, error, I did think the end of the first half was very questionable and weird and i don't know if you remember sam but like we had a run by i think it was richard newton for like 12 13 yards or something like that no it actually it was kamari pleasant it was kamari pleasant because he he fumbled the ball like after the play was dead yeah and he went down in bounds and then we call a timeout with like two seconds left and yeah. I didn't one, I didn't understand that timeout. Two, we come out of that timeout and we're on like our own 40 yard line or something like that. So it's not even worth a heave to the end zone at that point. And there's no time for us to get into field position or into field goal position. 
And so we snap the ball and we run it up the middle with, again, I think it was Kamari Pleasant or Richard Newton or something like that for like, for like no gain. And like that just screams unnecessary, like people, like players getting hurt on a play like that. If you're, if you're going to play call like that, just need a fucking ball. Yeah. Or, you know, like you mentioned, he just, he fumbled the ball after the, play was luckily blown dead maybe which if they pre- were going to call a timeout after that why why doesn't he just run out of bounds too like i, I it the entire yeah. that entire just like last 20 seconds of the first half made no sense to me um from a play calling standpoint i was fully expecting them to come out of that i mean oregon state had just gone down on a long touchdown drive and scored coming to half to make it 27 to 24 or something like that i think and um yeah 24 21 24 21 yeah uh so anyway like oregon state had just scored though and we got the kickoff with like 18 seconds left and i fully expected us to just knee and go into halftime yep and oregon state was going to come out with the ball but i mean instead we we run a play which it seems successful we get 12 yards or whatever out of it but i mean it took 16 seconds off the clock so there was two seconds left in the and the half and then we call another run up the middle which is obviously not going to amount to anything so why don't you just need the ball and it i don't know it yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense i think no. in this particular I, I don't think situation an for it, so yeah there's no excuse for it but i think you know in the context of this game we're lucky that we didn't forfeit a fumble or field position yeah, and for sure i mean if if kamari pleasant is actually, if kamari pleasant isn't ruled down by you know his forward momentum stopping yeah that's a that's fumble three that's three and points. that's three points for oregon state and it's a tie ball game so yeah. that's monumental and i, I think know, for I, the most part it was a a pretty cleanly coached game but yeah, that's yes. that 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 situation at the end of the first half definitely kind of had me raising an eyebrow. But yeah, I was scratching my head and poured myself another drink and reset <laughs> the second half. Um, let's see if there's anyone else that I want to talk about here. Do we want to just do like, or yeah, I guess we can talk about him really quick. I just want to talk about like Puka was a little disappointing tonight. Like, yeah, he. He obviously had a he had a couple of receptions for 19 yards. One of those receptions he ended up fumbling on. He had a drop. Yeah. Yep. He drop on a third down, I think. Yep. Um he got kind of bodied on a pass interference penalty that he he drew. So I mean that was kind of a positive, I guess. But at the same time, you'd like to see him kind of work through that a little bit more. He seemed to kind of flail at that. Yeah, I think that was. I don't think that on the TV broadcast we saw what actually happened on that play. That was a double move, mm-hmm. and I think Puka beat his guy pretty bad on the double move, and I think his guy was the cornerback covering him was grabbing him pretty, pretty blatantly. Yeah, to kind of keep up and do some damage control. And when the TV broadcast was showing the replay it only cut to the play after Puka had stretched it down the field. So I don't think we got the full story there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think in large part Puka was underwhelming again, how much of that is you know, him coming off a rumored injury throughout camp. Maybe he's knocking off some rust. He just wasn't the X factor that we have come to know him to be. Yeah. Um, on a positive note, I thought Sean McGrew looked really fucking good. Yeah, Sean McGrew, I would have loved to have seen him get more carries. I think he went nine carries for 90-some yards, wasn't it? 91 yards, yeah, and a touchdown. Yeah, I would have loved to see, you know, we run the ball 51 times. I would have liked to have seen more than nine of them go to number five. He looked yeah, like I mean, he if, was if they're really truly decisive. going. Yeah, for sure. If they're truly going with the hot hand, he was obviously the hot hand tonight. So, for sure. 
Um, I'm not sure if he was injured or something during the latter parts of the game. We didn't see him a lot. We saw a lot of Richard Newton towards the end of the game. Um, and I don't know if that was just scheme and play calling that there's a lot of short yardage situations. So that called for Richard Newton or if Sean McGrew was possibly possibly nursing something, but I'm interested to hear from Jimmy Lake on Monday to see how, how Sean McGrew is doing. It sounded like they interviewed him after the game. So it seems like he might be fine, but I'm not positive on that. Um, but we'll definitely hear, hear more on, about that. I th- I'm sure on Monday. Um, I don't know if there was really one, anyone else that I wanted to super shout out. I guess I, the one thing on my interceptions prediction, I'm feeling okay about that because <laughs> Asa Turner had kind of a garbage interception at the end of end, end of the game that sealed the deal. It's on a fourth down um, tipped pass and Asa came down with it. So he is currently your leader in interceptions with one. So I think I had called like three, three for him, I think this year. So we'll yeah. see, let's see what happens over the next, you know, four or five games. Yeah, it's a good start. I think he had an up and down game. I think he, you know, came down with the interception. He yep. came down into run support on that fourth and one play that probably is the play of the game. Mm-hmm. Whether the play was made by him or the refs, we'll leave that up to debate <laughs> for right now. Um, if I had to just go like rapid fire speed round in terms of calling out the top performers on both sides of the ball. I would say on offense, Sean McGrew really stood out to me. Like we were mentioning earlier, I think he was really decisive and effective at running the football. I think Dylan Morris played a solid game. He did what he was asked to do. I don't think he was done any favors by his wide receivers. Mm -mm. And then on the defensive side of the ball, like we mentioned earlier, Zion ZTF had a great game, two strip sacks, played really well in the pass rushing situations. I think Elijah Molden had a really good game. Just kind of a quiet but solid game. Yeah. And he then did. really he deserves a th- shout out. For sure. And then I think defensively the story of the game is Eddie Ulofoscio really saved our asses in a lot of ways. He had 10 tackles, nine of them solo. For a large part of the game, it felt like we were playing with one inside linebacker. He was doing a lot. He made a couple of great plays where, you know, he's engaged with an offensive guard from Oregon State and sheds the block and makes a tackle on a really good player. Jamar Jefferson is all he's that legit, he's advertised yeah. to be. He's a really sure. good running back. And I think for the most part, Eddie Ulofoscio had a really good game. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And you know, I mean, our tackling just wasn't great tonight. And I think a lot of that is just first game out there and kind of first live action and game speed. So I fully expect that to improve over the next, you know, game or two into the latter part of the season. Um, but Eddie was definitely on his A game and he was definitely our most sure, assured tackler for the night um, along with Elijah. So, and Eddie had four pass deflections for a linebacker. That's unheard of. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think, I think a lot of that, again, it kind of is game planning as far as Oregon state, a lot of their passes were kind of over the middle, but credit Eddie for getting his hands up and getting his hands on the ball in some of those situations. Um, I didn't realize that Daniel Haimuli had actually played. Did you notice him on the field? Cause apparently he had a tackle. No, I didn't notice him. I'll go through and watch this game like three or four more times before we do our midweek podcast. That might have been a tackle on special teams. I didn't see him. You're probably right. The the main linebackers that I saw in the rotation, the starters were Eddie Ulafoscio and Jackson Sermon. Mm -hmm. The third linebacker in that rotation seemed to be Alfonso Tupatala. I yeah. saw MJ Tafisi in there for a couple of plays, but I didn't notice any other inside linebackers in our base defensive scheme. So Danny the Hammer Hamuli maybe snuck in there for a play or two, or he picked up that tackle on special teams at this point. Yeah. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, you're probably right. He, it might have been on special teams. But 
good to see him, you know, in the stat sheet and hopefully that amounts to something. Cause again, I think kind of like last year, our inside linebackers were, were pretty disappointing, especially at that, at that position that Jackson Sermon was playing. I I'd like to see more from that position and we really need to tackle well. And yeah, we just didn't see that tonight. And Eddie, Eddie obviously did a, a solid job, but Jackson was not really where he needed to be assignment wise. And then when he had chances to tackle, he seemed to kind of get ran over in a tackle. Like his tackles weren't really enforcing tackles. He seemed to get dragged. Yeah. So I think he had a, from my first, my first impression from watching the game live, it felt like he had, two major issues kind of creep up on him throughout mm-hmm. the game. Mm-hmm. The first being he made a couple of really bad reads, really slow to react to where the play was actually flowing. Yeah. And then secondly, he struggled to get off blocks. He was getting covered up pretty well. I mean, he ended up with seven tackles, which on paper doesn't seem that bad, but Again, on my first reaction to watching it live, I don't think that tells the full story. I think he was out of position more than you would like to see from from your supporting inside linebacker alongside Eddie. Yeah, for sure. So we'll hope to see some improvement in this next game against Arizona next weekend. Um, But in the meantime, yeah, I think Sam and I are going to – probably call this a wrap pretty soon we'll we'll watch this game again at some point over the next few days and and we'll be doing a mid midweek episode kind of reflecting on some final thoughts on this game and obviously that'll have to do with jimmy lake's press conferences early next week on monday we'll find out some injury news at that point and some reflections upon the game from the coach's perspective so um, it'll be interesting to see see those thoughts and Sam and I, I'm sure we'll have much to say about that. Um, but also that midweek podcast will be previewing the next game that we hope will happen. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Nothing's promised this season. But next next game on the schedule is, is against Arizona next week at 5 p.m. That's also a home game. So it will be happening in Seattle. Uh, no fans, obviously. But that game will be on ESPN Fox. One of those. Sure. It's those are on. Uh, that's the safest thing that I can say because that's all. That's I think all that our games are on this this year is. Right now it's showing TVD, but yeah, it'll be it'll be FS1 or ESPN. Okay, so yeah, it's it's a 5 p.m. kick next next weekend though. That's the uh, that's the the 21st. So definitely be looking for our uh, our midweek podcast this week. Though it'll again have some final thoughts on this on this win over Oregon State and starting off the Jimmy Lake era on the on the right note that way. So we have to focus on the positives here. We did yep. get a win tonight. Definitely wasn't convincing that we that we thought it was going to be, but something to build upon. And first first time out for the Huskies this year in a in a weird year altogether, but also just a very you know we talked about the that this UW team's a complete mystery as far as what to expect, just because there's a lot of turnover, not only for players, but on, co- on the coaching staff as well. So interested, interested to see where this season goes and the developments that come with it, but definitely look for that midweek podcast. It'll probably, I think we'll probably record like Monday or Tuesday, probably come out Tuesday or Wednesday for you guys, but we'll talk about that more and, We'll communicate that via social media. Um, in the meantime, subscribe and follow us, guys. I mean, if you're this far deep into this podcast, like you're obviously interested in what we're saying, so it doesn't hurt to drop a subscribe or, or a follow on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us through. We're available on all, all podcast platforms, so whether it be Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, please please subscribe or follow, follow us, and we've got plenty more dogs to talk about this season and we'll we'll sneak in some seahawks and some sounders talk to here in the next few weeks as well um as as those seasons and playoffs progress um anything else that you had to say sam i know that it's it's late so i just didn't know if you had anything else to say though so 
Yeah, no, we should wrap it up. It's just about one thirty now. So I think, you know, in, in conclusion, it wasn't the dominating win that either of us had anticipated or hoped it would be. No. But at the end of the day, a win is a win. Jimmy mm-hmm. Lake gets a victory in his head coaching debut. And we're on to Arizona. Yep, absolutely. And Arizona, we'll talk about this more, but had a had a close encounter with USC today. So they're going to be a tough opponent next week. Um, and definitely probably a more proven opponent than what we just faced in Oregon State. So it's going to be... It's going to be an uphill battle here that we that we face in this next week, but you know, I got full full faith in Jimmy Lake and getting this getting this thing on the in on the right note as far as going into this second game. So, all right, guys, I think we're going to wrap here. Um, yeah, again, subscribe and follow us, please. And go dogs. And go dogs. <laughs>